Hi, I'm Hunter Keegan. As we continue tiptoeing through these strange times, DHF finds itself surviving and thriving in the Piedmont lowlands of Northern Virginia. But there was a time when survival meant venturing outside of your home, as Les Stroud, survivalist and documentarian, often said in his show Survivor Man, there are true survival situations that occur with little to no warning, and many people find ourselves poorly prepared. There was a time in this world before canned food, before waterproof clothing, before maps, where survival meant not just self-preservation, but going far beyond the most extreme limits of endurance and resilience. We have two stories today of wilderness survival and doing whatever it takes to live another day. The first story tells of a girl who was raised by wolves. The second tells of a man who became a wolf. about the wolf girl of Devil's River. Del Rio is a small city located in southern Texas, just along the Mexican border. These days it has a population of about 30,000, but in the early 1800s it was a lawless region occupied by white settlers, American Indians, and Mexican settlers, who were all fighting to survive in the Old West. Devil's River flows 94 miles through southwestern Texas and connects with the massive Rio Grande River near what is now known as Del Rio. Still considered one of the most pristine rivers in the United States, the cactus-covered ridges and plateaus and brutal, arid Texas climate have kept it relatively isolated from human interference. The isolated environment is as beautiful as it is deadly. Hardly anyone could survive out there on their own, especially not a child. And yet, in 1845, a mysterious American girl was seen running on all fours, attacking a herd of goats near the Mexican border, just south of Devil's River. She was naked and covered in dirt, but most strikingly, she was accompanied by a pack of wolves. The incident became a thing of legend. Settlers began keeping a watch out for the so-called Wolf Girl of Devil's River. Some also simply called her the Lobo Wolf Girl, or the Lobo Girl. Lobo meaning wolf in Spanish. Who was she? How had a child managed to survive in the unforgiving desert? How had she even ended up there in the first place? Historians have pieced together a very loose timeline of events. It's said that the wolf girl's mother had relocated to Texas from the Appalachian Mountains of Georgia after growing tired of her life living with her father, a mountain man, who she had lived with in a cabin far from civilization throughout her life up to that point. The woman's name was Molly, and when she arrived in Texas, she fell in love with a man who she married and moved with to the far western frontier. Her father eventually received a letter that cryptically stated, The devil has a river in Texas that is all his own, and is made only for those who are grown. Love, Molly. Devil's River was hardly known even to most Texans in those days. It was so far west that few white people resided in the region. 
Native Americans and Mexicans, many of whom didn't speak any English at all, had small encampments and villages along the river, but they were villages that were home to trappers and traders, not white settlers with young wives and families. It was violent and dangerous, and Molly and her husband soon met their fates at the hands of a tribe of Comanche Indians. The husband was killed, and Molly herself disappeared for a time. The dates on these events are sketchy. Some claim that Molly's body was found in 1845. Other timelines place the discovery of her body years earlier. In any case, according to the locals, Molly was found dead beneath a tree. It appeared that she had died while giving birth, but her baby could not be found. Her pocket contained a short letter that had been hastily written to her father. The letter served only to identify her and her husband. It contained no evidence as far as what had possibly happened to the child. Depending on which timeline you choose to believe, the wolf girl was either spotted in 1845 or sometime in the early 1850s. Like I said, the timeline on this is pretty sketchy, but both versions of events say that she was initially seen attacking and eating goats while accompanied by a pack of wolves. And again, this area was seldom traveled. The settlers who made their living in the region generally lived solitary and reclusive lives. This made the sightings of the wolf girl even more rare and legendary. The few eyewitnesses who saw her throughout the years described her as an American girl who wore no clothing and had long, unkempt hair that obscured most of her body. She walked on all fours, but would run on two legs when she needed to keep up with the rest of the wolf pack. She ran quickly and howled and grunted as if she herself was one of the wolves. The wolf girl actively avoided human contact. When she was spotted, she would disappear quickly behind rocks or crevices and make her escape without a trace. Probably sometime in the mid to late 1850s, a pair of cowboys managed to track down the wolf girl and cornered her in a small canyon after she was separated from the rest of her pack. She snarled and growled at them and bit and scratched the men as they tried to capture her. One of the wolves from the pack actually returned in an attempt to rescue the girl, but the cowboys shot and killed it, which allegedly caused the wolf girl to faint. The men tied her up and brought her to a nearby ranch. Her hair was densely matted, and the men remarked on how her arms and upper body were extremely muscular, but she otherwise appeared as a typical, healthy young woman with no obvious signs of injury or disease. They tied her up in a barn, and she howled throughout the night until the pack of wolves stormed the ranch and scared off the cowboys who had brought her there. When they returned, they found that the wolf girl had managed to escape by actually breaking through one of the wooden walls of the barn. There was no sign of her or the pack of wolves that had come to her rescue. The last alleged sighting of the Wolf Girl of Devil's River is said to have been in 1862. Three men were passing through the region on their way to seek gold in California, and right on the banks of the Rio Grande, they saw a naked woman with long, dirty hair who appeared to be breastfeeding two wolf pups. 
When she realized that she had been spotted, she took the two pups under her arm and ran from the banks of the river into the rugged mountains and shrubland. She was never seen again, however the story became a popular local legend. Over the years, many people passing through what we now know as Del Rio, Texas and the Devil's River claimed to have seen a haggard woman stalking the riverbanks on all fours, accompanied by large wolves. As the legend grew over time, it was said that wolves with human features began being spotted in the region, implying that the wolf girl had conceived offspring with the wolf pack and given birth to hybrid wolf children. So that's a thing that definitely happened. Devil's River was the only story I could find of a feral child in the United States who was not directly the victim of child abuse or neglect, which very sadly is how many of these cases of feral children come to be. There are a handful of international examples of feral children, mostly from very rural regions of Europe, Africa, and South America, and many of them turn out to be hoaxes. The Wolf Girl of Devil's River is a historical example of a feral child. Whether or not you believe that it's true is another story. If I had to guess, I'd say that Molly's body was found and the baby was missing because, well, it had been eaten by wolves. But the lack of physical evidence allowed the tragedy to turn into a folk legend. Kind of like modern instances of missing persons who, internet sleuths, speculate about having all sorts of exotic and fantastical causes behind their disappearances. Feral children tend to grow up with severe developmental disabilities and intellectual disabilities. Because human contact and interaction is a key component of early childhood development, without learning language or social skills, people's brains actually don't develop properly. And the gaps in cognitive development create lifelong issues that individuals never fully recover from. Speaking of individuals who adopt savage lifestyles for one reason or another, let's talk about the Kentucky cannibal, Boone Helm. The American frontier of the 1800s was brutal and lawless. If you were lucky, you may find honest men and women to build a community with. If you were less lucky, you may be attacked and robbed of everything you had. And if you had no luck at all, you may just run across a man like Boone Helm. Eventually dubbed the Kentucky Cannibal, Boonhelm swindled, murdered, and ate his way through the bluegrass countryside all the way into Northern California and Montana. Even after being captured, he gloated about his love for human flesh and was equally repentless for the bevy of atrocities he committed throughout the first half of the 19th century. Levi Boone Helm was born in Lincoln, Kentucky on January 28, 1827. 
His family were honest, hard-working folk who decided to move from their established life in Kentucky to a border settlement in Missouri when Boone was quite young. Remember, at the time, much of the western United States was unexplored. These were the days when it was still truly the Wild West. As Boonhelm grew into his teens, he became notorious for his physical strength and reckless alcohol-fueled lifestyle. He was said to be a skilled horseman. One story tells of an instance wherein, upon learning that a judge sought to summon him for a crime, Boone, heavily intoxicated, rode through the doors of the courthouse on horseback and cursed out the judge in front of numerous townspeople and demanded to know his charges. Not unlike our last story, because these events happened so long ago, it's difficult to ascertain the exact dates and locations of many of Boonhelm's crimes. But his first murder is said to have occurred in Missouri in the early 1850s, when Helm stabbed a man named Littleberry Shute to death after Littleberry attempted to back out of an agreement to accompany Helm on a journey further west to California. Apparently undeterred by his lack of traveling companion, Helm still struck out to California on his own, following promises of gold and fortune, as so many others did during those days. But he didn't make it very far, because a posse of Littlebury's friends and family caught up to Helm, captured him, and eventually Helm found himself in a mental asylum somewhere in Missouri. For a while, Boone seemed to calm down, to the extent that the asylum guards even let him take walks with them through the forest around the asylum. Naturally, Boone ran off into the woods after earning the trust of the guards, and eventually he met up with a posse of other men headed to California in search of gold. During his time with the posse, Boone boasted to the other men, Many's the poor devil I've killed at one time or another, and the time has been that I've been obliged to feed on some of them. <laughs> Dope. Now in the Pacific Northwest, the posse was attacked by an American Indian tribe who forced them to retreat into the dense forests of Idaho. The men quickly ran out of food and initially resorted to eating their horses. It was the dead of winter, and the men were forced to use makeshift snowshoes as they attempted to survive in the wilderness. Soon the winter elements had killed everyone in the party aside from Boonhelm and a man named Burton. Boone claimed that Burton had succumbed to exhaustion and committed suicide, after which point Boone fed on the corpse and continued his trek to California. By chance, he encountered a generous stranger who took Boone with him back to civilization, eventually transporting Boone all the way to Salt Lake City, Utah. It's said that Boone never thanked or paid the kind stranger for his help, despite that Boone had been carrying over $1,000 in cash that he had stolen after his escape from the mental asylum. He went on to continue proving himself an opportunistic but unpredictable predator, often befriending unassuming people and taking advantage of their generosity, sometimes even living with them, before ultimately murdering, robbing, and yes, often even eating them. By this time, even in the Wild West, Boone was a known criminal, wanted by the law in many states. After narrowly escaping execution in Florence, Oregon, he is believed to have traveled all the way down to Texas, where he briefly resided, possibly with a distant relative, 
and then reappeared in Montana, where he was finally apprehended late in the year of 1863 and executed. Hanged at the gallows in Virginia City, Montana, in front of a crowd of 6,000 people. Reportedly, his last words were, Every man for his principles, hurrah for Jeff Davis, let her rip. Uh, So it was during the Civil War at this time, Jeff Davis was the president of the Confederate States of America. Boone was 35 years old. It is unknown precisely how many men Boone Helm, the Kentucky cannibal, killed throughout his life. His tales were often dubious. His demeanor was wily and unhinged. Some of his claims certainly needed to be taken with a grain of salt. However, it is indisputable that some of his stories were true. The winters he had spent in the mountains and forests with various partners in crime and harsh survival conditions would have required him to sustain himself somehow. And often, in that type of isolated situation, the easiest prey is whoever is standing next to you. There are a number of mountain men from the 1800s who were said to have fed on their fellow man in the Rocky Mountains or other desolate areas of the rural West. In a bizarre way, I find their stories kind of impressive. Certainly not respectable, but impressive. The survivalist nature of their ruthless drive for self-preservation and their resourcefulness intrigues me. Not many of us could survive for thousands of miles, winter after winter, while running from the law and associating with other bandits and hardened criminals. Do you have a story that you'd like to hear covered on the show? Drop me a line. I'm on Twitter at HHKeegan, and you can email me at HunterHKeegan at gmail.com. As with all DHF installments, this episode features original music by Last Known Images, a side project of mine. In addition to the more ambient songs you hear on DHF, we recently released a short punk album called Chloride Clyde available for streaming on Bandcamp, and it will also be available on all digital streaming platforms later this week. Last Known Images is the band, Down Home Fear is the podcast, tell your friends, tell your family, tell your enemies. This concludes the 26th episode of Down Home Fear. I'm Hunter Keegan, thank you so much for listening.